Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. This is the truth about the coronavirus source. Do we have a weapon? Well, let's look at some of the data. But first, let's look at the cases. 73,439 confirmed cases, deaths, 1875 recovered, 13,169. Although there are indications that even if you get it, you can get it again, and the second time could even be worse. Total cases, as you can see here, it's going up on a linear scale, and uh, it seems to be flattening out a little. There was a jump, which had a lot to do with the change in definitions, but the definitions have changed again. And the total deaths, as you can see, slightly flattening. But effective February 17th, confirmed cases include both laboratory confirmed as previously reported and clinically diagnosed, currently only, only applicable to Hebei province, China, this comes from the World Health Organization, so we are not comparing apples to apples when we are looking at day-to-day -day numbers. All right, so this is the big question. Did coronavirus originate in Chinese government laboratory? Scientists believe killer disease may have begun in research facility 300 yards from Wuhan wet fish market. A new bombshell paper from the Beijing-sponsored South China University of Technology says that the Wuhan Center for Disease, for Disease Control could have spawned the contagion in Hubei province. Quote, the possible origins of 2019 NCOV coronavirus, penned by scholars Bo Tou Zhao and Li Zhao, claims the WHCDC kept disease-ridden animals in laboratories, including 605 bats. It also mentions that bats, which are linked to coronavirus, once attacked a researcher, and, quote, blood of bat was on his skin. The report says, quote, genome sequences from patients were 96 or 89 percent identical to the bat COV-ZC45 coronavirus originally found in rhino Lophus affinis, the intermediate horseshoe bat. It describes how only how the only native bats are found about 600 miles away from the Wuhan seafood market and that the probability of bats flying from Yunnan and Xiaoyang uh, province was minimal. In addition, there is little to suggest the local populace eat the bats as evidenced by testimonies of 31 residents and 28 visitors. Instead, the authors point to research being carried out within a few hundred yards at the WHCDC. Now, that's important. So, if the native bats are 600 miles away, then the only way that bats would end up in the seafood market is if they were a very prized local delicacy, because you'd have to go 600 miles, or somebody would have to go 600 miles, catch the bats, ship them back uh, in a way that kept them fresh. So if people aren't interested in eating bats, nobody's bringing bats from 600 miles away, if it's not a particular kind of delicacy, or I guess it could conceivably be that it would be used in traditional medicine. One of the researchers at the WHCDC described quarantining himself for two weeks after a bat's blood got on his skin, according to the report. The same man also quarantined himself after a bat urinated on him. And he also mentions discovering a live tick from a bat, parasites known for their ability to pass infections through a host animal's blood. The WHCDC was also adjacent to the Union Hospital, where the first group of doctors were infected during this epidemic, the report says. It is plausible, this is the report, that the virus leaked around and some of them contaminated the initial patients in this epidemic, though solid proofs are needed in future study. 
And as well as the WHCDC, the report suggests that the Wuhan Institute of Virology could also have leaked the virus, as has previously been reported by Mail Online. Quote, this laboratory reported that the Chinese horseshoe bats were natural reservoirs for the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus, which caused the 2002-2003 pandemic. The principal investigator participated in a project which generated a chimeric virus using the SARS-CoV reverse genetic system and reported the potential for human emergence 10. A direct speculation was that SARS-CoV or its derivative might leak from the laboratory. The report concludes that the current NCOV 2019, the killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Again, this is not peer-reviewed. This is a, a preliminary to put it mildly, but this is the latest data that I've been able to find. And for all of those of you who say, well, it's just like the flu, even if we accept the numbers, there's a study uh, that uh, of people who had died by February 11th, 44,672 patients, 1,023 had died, a case fatality rate of 2.3%, that is 20 times higher than seasonal flu. And of course, unlike flu, no treatments or vaccines for COVID-19. So it's not, uh, it's not the flu. The Chinese are very intelligent people and they don't shut down their economy because of the flu. I found this was very interesting from finance.china.com.cn. This is the translation from February 16th. Ensure biosecurity. Ministry of Science and Technology course for Enhanced Management of Laboratory Viruses. Wu Yanbin, Director of the Department of Social Development and Science at the Technology of the Ministry of Science and Technology. Well, it's quite a business card. Introduced at the State Council's Joint Prevention and Control Mechanism Conference on the afternoon of the 15th of February. A role to meet the needs of scientific and technological research. All competent de departments should strengthen the management of laboratories, especially viruses to ensure biological safety. He said that since the outbreak of the new crown pneumonia epidemic, science and technology departments and a large number of scientific workers have carried out four main tasks. One is to clarify the main direction of scientific research. The other is to quickly deploy emergency tasks. The third is to establish a coordinated promotion mechanism. And the fourth is to strengthen and standardize management and service. Well, that's interesting. Enhanced management and security, and containment of laboratory viruses. Seems like an interesting thing to be talking about when there seems to be a lot more important things going on, unless they are, of course, related. Speculation and rumors and claims are still circling and swirling about the origin of uh, NCOV-2019. A woman who identifies herself as a co-worker claims the head of the Wuhan Virus Research Lab has previously brought lab animals to sell in the public market. Here's the quote. I am Wuhan Virus Research Lab Researcher X, identity card number X. Using my real identity, I report that the head of this facility, X, has spread this virus. She has no knowledge of the medical sciences and relied on talent for admission into Beijing University, high-ranking university in China. Daily research activities are undertaken by other researchers. She, she frequently brings lab experiment animals to sell to the stalls of the Huanan Seafood Market, specializing in wild animals. More people are speaking out with real names and identities. Of course, Chinese social media uses only real names. Now, this, putting, uh, this information that was put out is important to note in the light of the fact that spreading rumors on the Internet carries a prison sentence of seven years 
and almost complete certainty one will be caught, of course, because of the real name situation. The censorship machine is efficient. Her original post was reportedly deleted within minutes. A response was later posted by the author claiming that others had posted this with her identity without her permission. This could be more circumstantial evidence towards the source of the COVID-2019 NCOV-2019 Wuhan pneumonia being a biolab leak. It also, of course, highlights the great difficulty of definitive proof, which we may never, of course, get. The head of a Wuhan hospital at the center of the coronavirus outbreak has died of the disease. Now, this was reported on Chinese state TV after local officials revealed and then denied his death. Dr. Zheming, who was only 51, died on Tuesday morning after, quote, all out-rescue efforts failed. Officials and state media confirmed his death today after confusion last night. There were, of course, similar confusions over the death of whistleblower medic Lai Wenliang. The doctor's death today has sparked a fresh wave of anger on Chinese social media. His wife told reporters that her husband had been ill since late January. Now, this highlights something very important, which is that this doctor, who's only 51, not elderly, not in frail health, that he was unable to avoid being infected, and even with all of the resources of the hospital at his disposal, was unable to survive this disease. Okay, let's talk about the economy. This is really important and will have worldwide effects, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But let's look at these three figures. So these are four lines, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. 2020, of course, is in red. Uh, day one is Chinese New Year's Day. So, of course, there's a diminishment of activity leading up to Chinese New Year. But then, as you can see in previous years, the activity resumed. So we've got the daily coal consumption, 100 city average transportation congestion index, and daily property sales volume in 30 major cities. None of it is recovering. There's been a slight uptick in daily property sales volume, but that could of course be because people have died and their homes are for sale. So this flatlining of economic activity is continuing and is going to have massive impacts on the world scale, on um, the movement of goods, particularly in the B2B or business-to-business sector, which is going to have a ripple effect all around the world. Regardless of the outcome of this illness, this is going to be a catastrophic and enormous economic ripple effect in the world. So, for the first time since the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak, China's National Health Commission reported on February 14th that at least 1,716 health workers had been infected while treating patients with the virus. And this, of course, is similar during the severe acute respiratory syndrome epidemic, the SARS epidemic in 2002-2003. A significant proportion of healthcare workers in mainland China also succumbed to the virus, with about 20% of them contracting SARS. On Sunday, Ubay announced tough new measures to try and curb the outbreak, ordering its cities to block roads to all private vehicles. Meanwhile, a newly published speech revealed Chinese President Xi was aware of the potential severity of the outbreak long before the public was informed. Two more cases have been confirmed in Taiwan. Taiwan has reported two more confirmed cases, saying they were linked to the island's first death and lifted the number of those infected to 22. The mother of the deceased, who died on Saturday and a male relative, were tested positive 
according to the Minister of Health and Welfare. A court in the Russian city of St. Petersburg ordered a woman to be forcibly returned to coronavirus quarantine in hospital after she broke out and went home. The city's Botkin Hospital filed a highly unusual request for a court order to hospitalize 33-year-old Ala Elinia after she posted on social media about breaking out of her isolation room, complaining of, how do you threaten an entire city? On what grounds? On what basis? Well, she didn't like the food, and she needed shampoo. And that's why you put an entire city at risk. Nearly half of the U.S. companies in China say their global operations are already seeing an impact from business shutdowns due to the coronavirus epidemic, according to a poll by Shanghai's American Chamber of Commerce. Some 78% of the respondents also said they did not have sufficient staff at their Chinese plants to resume full production, while 48% of respondents said plant shutdowns had already impacted their global supply chains. There is a speech, I will link to this below, as I will to all the sources here, a critique, viral alarm when fury overcomes fear. A beautiful translation of this critique has widely circulated in Chinese social media and messaging. Tsinghua University professor Zhu Zhangrun, he is under house arrest without internet access now as the author. It sums up the fundamental fight between the culture that emerged, the socio-political economic consequences and human freedom. And uh, you should really read this. Here's a quote. One can only hope that our fellow Chinese, both young and old, will finally take the lesson to heart and abandon their long-practiced slavish acquiescence. It is high time that people relied on their own rational judgment and avoided sacrificing themselves on the altar of the power holders. Otherwise, you will all be no better than fields of garlic chives, giving yourselves up to being harvested by the blade of power time and time again. The coronavirus has reportedly spread to North Korea, a fairly, of course, sealed hermit kingdom country. And this is according to South Korean news outlets. Though the country has further isolated itself from the rest of the world, its lack of medical supplies and crumbling healthcare system leave it ill-equipped to handle an outbreak. Kim Jong-un recently cancelled an annual parade that celebrates the founding of the military's armed forces. He did not give an explanation fueling suspicions about the virus. A former World Health official reported they cannot produce the medicine they need because of the sanctions. Nothing new has come to the country to update their medicine or technology. So the president, Chinese president, a recent speech that has been published by state media indicates for the first time that he was leading the response to this new virus outbreak from early on in the crisis. The publication of the February 3rd speech was an apparent attempt to demonstrate that the Communist Party leadership had acted decisively from the beginning but it also opens up the Chinese leader to criticism over why the public was not alerted sooner. In the speech, the president said he gave instructions on fighting the virus on Jan 7th and ordered the shutdown that began on January the 23rd of cities at the epicenter of the outbreak. His remarks were published by state media late Saturday. So that is uh, important that they sat on this for quite some time. There are indications that knowledge might have been available even earlier. And of course, when it comes to these kinds of outbreaks, the sooner you act, the sooner you can flatten, arrest, or even reverse the exponential growth of the spread. So this ship, for those of you who've been following this, the Diamond Princess cruise ship in Japan has had a very large number. I believe the number is closer to 500 now. 
So another 99 people have been tested positive. This is as of yesterday for coronavirus on board the stricken Princess Diamond cruise ship docked in Japan, bringing the total number of confirmed infections to 454. And that is a very large number of people who have got this from one, uh, one person, as far as I understand it. One person who went on, and uh, then it just spread, uh, I guess literally, like wildfire. And that is not good. So Chief Director of the Japan Community Healthcare Organization said, many people are testing positive on the ship, but that is because we are testing everyone on board regardless of their medical condition. And 70% of those testing positive are not showing any symptoms at all. Now, Japan has uh, advised its citizens to avoid mass gatherings. It canceled celebrations for the emperor's birthday. Organizers of the Tokyo Marathon canceled next month's math participation race in which 38,000 people were due to take part. And uh, that is, uh, I mean, it's quite striking. It's a very, very important part of Tokyo culture. A hospital near Tokyo said it was no longer accepting new patients because one of its nurses had tested positive for the virus after treating an infected patient who later died. Analysts warned of a potentially huge damage to Japan's economy, saying the widening fallout from the virus was damaging output in tourism, undermining growth and risking pushing the country into recession. And, of course, uh, I was very lucky to be out of Hong Kong last year before this fell. But, of course, uh, Hong Kong tourism is, has collapsed. And, uh, I mean, it's not like there was a massive amount of tourism in China. But now... With regards to what is going on in China, and uh, this is uh, something to be to be aware of, of course, people are being forcibly confined and quarantined, some indications welded into their homes, as I talked about last time. So this is uh, a village, it says the translation is the villagers were reluctant to be sealed up at home and they fought back the police fired shots. And this, of course, is what is going on. This is the panic, and this is not a group of people who are easily panicked. But this is really quite alarming. To be sealed up in your home for how no, who knows how long, without necessary supplies, people are going to fight back. If you look here, this is a situation. Somebody has filmed the Chinese... Apparently, as you can see, moving up these barricades and welding people into their homes. I talked about this before. Some money is being destroyed. Some shop owners in China are boiling cash to sterilize it from coronavirus. The Chinese government has ordered cash quarantines to sanitize old banknotes from the virus. And people told me, oh, people don't use cash in China. I said, well, they do if you're in the country. In particular, so here you can see somebody boiling cash to try and get rid of the virus. So, of course, a lot was made of the government hospitals built in 10 days for coronavirus patients in Wuhan. But, of course, it's a government program. It's a, a mess and a disaster. And here somebody has footage that they say is coming from this hospital. Uh, and uh, cracks in the water pipes, fractures on the walls, partial collapses. This is just another government program. People are getting incredibly frustrated. So this is um, a uh, medical tent, and there's a driver here who's uh, angry about something. We don't know exactly what. 
and he has actually just driven his car into the tent. And uh, this is uh, appalling. This is the level of frustration, of course, that people are facing with regards to this situation. Now, here, I mean, this is eerie, right? This is in Wuhan, China. This is the emptiness of the city. Now, of course, I was in China in uh, 2000 for uh, business, and um, you couldn't uh, ever see a street like this even at 2 o'clock in the morning. But this is how silent the city has become. And this collapse of movement, this collapse of industry, this collapse of business is going to have ripple effects around the world. Burger King has shut down. Starbucks has shut down. Apple uh, is having trouble sourcing its iPhones. A lot of people have invested their time and their energy and their focus and their business relationships into China. And when something like this happens, of course, what happens is people have to look for other sources and other solutions to China. So if you are getting your materials from China and the economy has ground to a halt, you need some other place to get your materials. And so you're going to set, other, uh, set up other sources, other places where you can get stuff. So there's this thing called just-in-time manufacturing, which is you don't get whatever it is that you need until right before you need it, and then the supplier hands it to you, and that saves you money on having to store inventory and so on. So this just-in-time manufacturing has created a real house of cards when it comes to international business supply chains, which sounds like a really abstract and boring topic, but it is what delivers everything that you need to live, basically. And so because people have adopted just-in-time delivery, whenever there's an interruption, it has a massive ripple effect and not much, there's not much uh, slack to deal with these kinds of interruptions. Now, of course, if you need to get materials, you will just get them from somewhere else. And so people are going to start decoupling their business relationships from China, and they're going to start creating more stable sources for materials and products and goods and services locally. And that is going to be very important. This could be the beginning of a de-internationalization of the business relationships. In other words, it could stimulate more domestic demand, domestic economy, domestic jobs, and it could uncouple the money that is flowing into places like China. Now that people realize and understand and recognize the intense vulnerability that they have when their materials are sourced from an incompetent and brutal dictatorship, it doesn't pay off in the long run. This is going to cause change in China. This is going to cause large ripple effects in the domestic economies around the world, particularly, of course, in America. And that is going to be very, very interesting to watch. So thank you so much for listening. I really look forward to your feedback. And please, please help out this show at freedomain.com forward slash donate. There's a puzzling silence about the coronavirus, even as major economic impacts are underway. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Martinson with your COVID-19 update. It's February 17th, 2020, and I'm calling this one a puzzling silence. And I had to take a day off yesterday on the 16th, so thank you for everyone who noticed and wondered how I was. I just needed to get some sleep and catch up on some things around the home. All right, moving on. We go right to the numbers as usual. As you know, I don't trust these numbers very much at all coming out of China, but directionally we can look at them. The cruise ship, though, I trust these numbers a lot, and we saw an increase of 99 cases there 
And we're going to talk in a minute about what this means that we see 19 in serious or critical condition. And of course, these are people receiving the very best of care. Good to see that Singapore's uh, numbers dropped. They had eight there in the last table that we looked at. Japan has additionally, besides the cruise ship, a bunch of cases that are starting to show up now here as well. And we're seeing a smattering of cases elsewhere, but not that many. And really puzzling to me, places like the United States and Australia really just locked in with almost no new cases. Vietnam at 16, I believe, is a real low ball, and we'll see why in just a second. But there was something that I missed that I wanted to go over. This came out on the 13th of February. I found this now sourced in four separate newspapers. I could have found more. So I believe this is true, and I'm not sure why it didn't make it to the front news. Uh, Vietnam quarantines area with over 10,000 residents over the coronavirus. So this was uh, in a village in Vietnam that had 10,000 people close to the nation's capital were placed under quarantine on Thursday after six cases of the deadly new coronavirus were discovered there. So uh, presumably this is a not um, entirely high rent district and this would be a place where people are crammed in a little bit more closely together. And the entire commune of San Loi, uh, about 40 kilometers from Hanoi, was uh, placed under mass quarantine. So this is the first mass quarantine outside of China since the virus emerged. I'm not sure why this wasn't bigger news or how I missed it because I've been a complete corona news junkie for a while. Uh, it took me a while to find that. Um, they're saying here the timeline for the quarantine is for 20 days, but as we've learned from the cruise ship, 20 days becomes however many days with each new case that's come forward. So this came out on February 13th. As four days ago now, I haven't been able to find any updated information whether there are more cases in there or not. I think there's a serious underreporting of cases going on, um, in a, particularly you know examples like this. As well, there's this uh, Westerdam cruise ship incident, um, which we're going to spell that more correctly here, um, incident. Health officials said they found a coronavirus uh, case among the hundreds of passengers who disembarked a cruise ship in Cambodia. And this was after five ports rejected it over coronavirus fears. And uh, I guess those fears were well-founded, so they weren't fears. That was a rational decision. But now more than a thousand passengers from the ship have proceeded to destinations around the world. And health officials are struggling to determine how to handle the situation. One expert even said that the incident could mark a turning point in the effort to keep the coronavirus outbreak mostly confined to China. Well, I'm not sure why that's the case. I think the turning point was way back uh, in early, you know, mid-January when, when uh, we put out our first alert on January 24th and the WHO officials were out there, Tedros in particular, was saying, hey, nobody should think about, you know, interrupting their trade or travel or air transport to and with and from China. Uh, that would have been the turning point, I guess, but this could be another turning point. Really, there's no stopping this with its r not at this stage. It's just a, a matter of time now. Found that here at Business Insider, so that's certainly something worth watching. As well, uh, when you see something here that says hours ago, uh, I, I'm recording this at about 2.30, so I gathered most of this data this morning, so um, this sometime on February 17th. This is interesting. Chinese woman struck down after probation period. So she went through um, a complete uh, two-week probation period. And uh, this is a 24-year-old woman struck down with symptoms on the 15th day of quarantine. So that's a day long, you know, ostensibly anybody in a 14-day quarantine could leave. And on the 15th day, the day they leave, bang, down come the symptoms and was officially diagnosed another six days 
after that. Currently in stable condition, and authorities are scrambling to isolate anyone or everyone uh, she came in contact with. So this just, go, again, goes to show that the chronology of this is, uh, is really, really difficult to stop. This is not the same as SARS. This is not the same as the flu. We have a very long asymptomatic period, and that makes this really a very different beast uh, to try and contain. The only way you can contain it is the way that China has been going about it, which includes incredibly draconian measures to make sure that the entirety of your uh, population is really under lock and key. All right, moving on. Cruise ship stats. This would be the plague cruise ship. Uh, the total on board, initially here, 3,700 people. There are now 454. That's 12% of that total number have now tested positive, but they've only tested 1,700 of them. So let's do that math. Uh, 454 divided by 1723 gives you 26%. So roughly one quarter of all the people who have been tested have shown up as being uh, positive for that. So let's imagine then that there's a false negative rate in there, and if that rate is 25%, then the infected ratio would climb to 33%. So this is starting to work into those numbers that uh, some of the larger statisticians have been talking about, which would say that uh, potentially as much as half the world could get infected. Now, cruise ships are pretty bad. I think we have much better chance of containment outside of cruise ships, but on that cruise ship, they must have been running the best containment they could, which is everybody stay in your rooms, we're going to bring you food, and still somehow this managed to spread uh, very, very successfully and aggressively throughout that. As well, we now have some other data from that, which is that 19 of those infected with the coronavirus on the cruise ship in Japan are seriously ill. So remember, this is the main concern, how many people get seriously ill. And if enough of them get seriously ill, some percentage of them will die, particularly the elderly ones in that population cohort. But if, you're, if enough gets seriously ill that your hospital system is overwhelmed, and later I'm going to show you just how complex it is to treat this particular uh, uh, disease when it comes forward. If your hospital system gets overwhelmed, then many of those seriously ill that could have been saved won't be saved because your system can't handle it. All right, right now 19 divided by 454 tells us that about 4% of these people are getting seriously ill, but that's not the appropriate number to divide by, is it? Because these are people, many of these just got sick in the last couple of days. Let's imagine there's a seven-day lag from detection, from showing up with symptoms to being declared serious. That feels about right. It can be as short as four or five days, as long as eight or nine, um, but it takes time. So what happens if we take that into account? We know these 19 who are now presenting as seriously ill were probably infected a while ago. So how long ago? I don't know, but let's say that when they first are detected was seven days ago. Let's go take the time machine back here and go back to February 10th, seven days ago, find out that there were 135 cases detected then on that ship. So now 19 divided by 135 gives us 14%. That's a closer number uh, to what we were expecting to see here, which is somewhere around 15 to 20% of people who do get this are going to present as seriously ill. So this is tracking very well with the China data, and that's interesting and also troubling, because I think a lot of people were beginning to think that this was really, for some mysterious reason, a condition that was more serious in China, maybe because of lack of quality of medical care, because of an overwhelmed system, or because of some genetic issues and predispositions. 
But here we're getting uh, data that says that on the cruise ship, at least, it's beginning to mirror the statistics that we would see having come out of China. And that's with the very best of care being afforded. All right, some other latest news. Uh, Macau just couldn't take the economic pressure anymore, and they're allowed to reopen after antivirus closure, and that's because they hadn't seen any cases there in a little while. So they're going to reopen their casinos and have uh, you know masses come and gather again. Taiwan is reporting two new cases of coronavirus, raising the total there to 22. Interesting that these new cases are also presenting without any known contacts to China. So this is now... Uh, fits the definition of a pandemic where you have it outside of the border of one nation. It's in at least two areas and it's now replicating and has human to human transmission in a local uh, fashion. So Taiwan now part of that as well, joining Singapore, joining um, uh, Japan and a few others. All right. Uh, this is a little bit old. One new, actually, it's more like five more coronavirus cases in Japan. And this is outside of the ones on the cruise ship. So country's total number now stands at 62. Five new cases says here, unrelated to the Diamond Princess cruise ship. And um, uh, Japan really has a, has a big problem on their hands. And, and not least of which is they really had to dial way back uh, the Boston Marathon, which is a huge, huge deal for them. And also they've got the Olympics coming up. So uh, this is going to really uh, be very difficult for Japan to manage the business interests against the health interests. Uh, it's going to be interesting to, to see how they go about managing that. But finally, finally, the lead story. Coronavirus was finally the lead story this morning, February 17th, on CNN in the U.S. They spent 15 minutes covering it with various reports on their 8 a.m. in the morning show, Eastern Time. Hey, uh, it's finally, it's been forever. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe now we can begin to start to get some traction on this story. And as I went over to the CNN website, I also noted that on the front page, right at the top, we see this big whole box right here, all um, devoted to just coronavirus stories, COVID-19 stories. So things about the passengers evacuation, stories about people who survived, the marathon that's restricted to elite athletes only, China's destroying some of its cash, kind of interesting story, but cash is a way you can spread this, I guess, there's the thought, so uh, that's being destroyed, and, you know, all sorts of stories here, and what it's like to be on a quarantine cruise ship, oh, I don't even want to read that, I'm sure that's just miserable. Bloomberg as well, above the fold, right at the top here on its online edition, so talking about the U.S. Uh, evacuations here, and um, uh, stuff going on in Hong Kong, and cruise ships, and Z's speech. Interestingly, though, this is something that's really been baffling uh, if you believe in free markets, which I believe we don't have anymore because the markets have been crammed higher all over the world. Look at this. Europe stocks rise with U.S. futures on China lift. And why did China lift? Well, because they're just opening the money floodgates and throwing money into the markets. Why? Well, a bunch of reasons. I think the prime one is because if your markets are rising, it signals to people that all is well. And that's a really important thing to do at the macro level, again, when you are trying to contain or control the narrative around a contamination like this and a contagion like this, what you have to do is you have to keep um, managing people's expectations and hoping that you can convince everybody things are okay. Because the thing that the public policy officials fear most is this thing called panic, which means, in their minds, uncontained 
actions by people where people go out and do things that aren't sanctioned, approved of, wanted, desirable, all kinds of things, including uh, in many cases even preparing themselves and their own families as best they can. Because once enough people do that, the vibe sort of catches on. And once the vibe catches on, if too many people do that, it really can fall apart quickly. I think you've all heard or read or seen the stories about in Hong Kong, which has a relative handful of cases that their stores are completely stripped of bare necessities. Toilet paper is now the new uh, number one fashion status symbol. If you want to give somebody a gift that really shows you care, it's not a it's it's not a really fancy handbag anymore. It's it's a whole set of rolls of toilet paper, and that there was even a, an armed hijacking to steal a thousand rolls of toilet paper. So that happens in part because people get the vibe that maybe they should go get toilet paper. Too many people do that, and you run out. And once you run out, it becomes its own self-fulfilling thing. So they're trying to control and contain that, and that's why markets rise in many cases. Wall Street Journal still way behind the step uh, in this particular uh, narrative. I, I would think that this journal, ostensibly being a business journal, would be most concerned with the business impacts of the coronavirus, which are huge, legendary, uh, possibly the most extreme in anybody's lifetime, maybe ever. You know, So this is a really, really big piece of news. At least they're covering above the fold at the top this morning. They talk about the cruise ship passengers flown home, 14 are infected with the coronavirus, Kind of interesting story there. They weren't supposed to fly any infected home. They had uh, a, a you know, number of American citizens they wanted to fly home, and as part of that, they tested them, and 14 showed up as infected during that test. So they put them in the back of the plane in a special uh, you know, quarantine sort of a, a zone, and, and they're flying everybody back. So that's good that they're coming back, but um, Wall Street Journal is noting this, which is interesting, and I guess it's got a, a human interest story, but it's not about the business itself. The business is the story that I'm tracking really carefully because I think it's the biggest issue. And we're seeing really big industrial production decline. So this is gross Sino or China-US trade flows, rolling 12-month sum in billions. And you can see here, this is the Great Recession, Great Financial Crisis in this period right down here. 2016, we had a really solid downturn as well, but that was fought off with wave after wave of monetary stimulus by both the central banks of China and the U.S. and Europe. And But this decline right here is absolutely the largest in an absolute amount. Um, not sure on a percentage amount how it compares here, but it might be as large as that from uh, 2008 through 2000, early 2010. So trade flows already spanked, spanked hard. No idea when they are going to actually reverse. And if you remember, stocks went up and up and up all through 2019 because of all these headlines that said positive news about the trade deal, China trade deal almost done, biggest deal ever. And every time we had a headline like that, the U.S. stock market would go up based on trade optimism. Well, this little dip right here just undid, mm, looks like about $150 billion worth of trade flows, which is uh, just swamps anything the China trade deal was hoping to accomplish in that same amount of time. So uh, it, all I can tell you is that markets are not going up because of anything that's fundamentally rational or reasonable. When we go into Google and just do a couple quick quick searches about Chinese getting back to work, we find that they are struggling to get back to work. China orders self-quarantine and capital as nation returns to work. Those returning to Beijing must stay home 14 days. Well, maybe 15 or more now based on that earlier case we just talked about. So that's going to be really hard to get people back to work as they return from wherever they've been, particularly the, the Chinese New Year, coming home and uh, then having to stay home for 14 days. Obviously, you're not working in a factory if you're doing that. 
China says coronavirus curbs start to work. Okay, this is really good, but the coronavirus curbs, I believe they are starting to work, but it means having everybody stay home and really, really tightly controlling every single movement of those people. Obviously, for the curbs to work, people aren't working. And that's the clear case here. And I think as well, you can't just quarantine people for 14 days. It takes longer than that. That's what the, the cruise ship is teaching us. It might be three or four months of really intensive quarantining to get this uh, coronavirus under control. All right, U.S. factories in China are open, but don't have enough staff. So I guess nominally some of the factories have been open, but a lot of them are talking about having severe shortages of workers due to the coronavirus. And I heard a report, I uh, haven't been able to confirm it, but I heard a report a while back that a couple hundred uh, Chinese workers were ordered back to work. They came back to work. Somebody in that factory tested positive for the coronavirus, and then all 200 people went into quarantine, which in China could mean you end up in one of those stadiums with a cot where you're pretty much certain to get exposed to the coronavirus if you haven't been already. So uh, this is uh, telling us that there's just... People aren't getting back to work, and New Zealand companies hit as virus shuts China's factories. There's just tons of stories like this, people. They're all over the place. As well, we're starting to get a lot of anecdotes that are piling up. Found this one on Reddit under R Coronavirus uh, by user armed with bars. And uh, again, unverified account. This could be a made up story, but um, it has that ring of truth to me. So I'm going to share it with you here. This one reads, I work in the furniture business. My company has full furniture imported from China. And uh, for the made in USA stuff, the fabric is imported from China. China makes over 40% of the world's textiles. For a few weeks, we haven't even been able to reach our Chinese vendors, much less get in contact with them. We finally reached our biggest vendor who supplies all our fabrics. The PO dates are insane. For our popular fabrics, we are looking at PO dates around mid-June as of right now. Less popular stuff, it's early August. That's just to get the fabric to the U.S. factory. We are told if factories even open up, they are going to be producing a fraction of the product due to employees being locked down in their home cities. A fraction of the product due to employees being locked down in their home cities. Yep, that's what we're seeing. So this is about furniture, fabrics, textiles. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, they continue, we are already running low on our warehouse stock because income tax return is the busiest time of the year. Once we run out, we can't even put in further purchase orders. Since we've already ran out of lighter stock, merchandise has been calculated. We already lost over a million dollars in potential sales. My company has close to 100,000 employees and our jobs are seriously at risk right now. So getting their jobs seriously at risk. People are so focused on the virus, they aren't even realizing that hundreds of thousands of people will be out of work if this continues any longer. I would say millions of people. Uh, it's not as simple as sourcing from another country. It's extremely expensive to relocate production to another country. It's also a very slow process. And in some cases, it's an impossible process, as it were, because you need to have an integrated supply chain. I, maybe fabrics is easier, but when you think about electronics... It's not as easy as just saying, well, well, we'll relocate the chipset manufacturing to a different country because you need a fab plant for that. You know, it's a very specialized piece of, of production, and it might be that you need the other component parts to come from other nearby factories. And so you cluster those, and it's, not, it, it's, it's, a, it's a much more uh, difficult problem to get uh, real, realigned with, with some new, you don't just order from somewhere else in the world. 
So even if this ended tomorrow, they conclude here, there's a good chance our company can tank from this situation. I've already been told by a friend in corporate to get my resume ready to go. The economic fallout from this is going to be life-changing. That's my conclusion, too. I really do think that's the case. And we've got some macro data as well to support this anecdote. Um, here we have a report that was compiled by a Cleveland Research Company, and it's looking at the return to work levels, estimated to be about 30%. That feels about right. So the other way to say that is that about 70% of China is still out of work. And um, that's as well, this should be ramping up through this whole whole period of time. And it's just, it's just been flat. Uh, it's really looks like anybody who was going to return to work kind of, or, you know, it's kind of there by early February, but not a lot has been happening since as well. When you look at, in this case, in the city of, of Guangzhou, looking at passenger traffic or average traffic of, uh, in the city here since February 10th, which is when most cities uh, started to return to work, the activity level still well below a normal month. So this is where it kind of was. And now they're reporting, hey, we're seeing this uptick. This is good news. We're getting more traffic, but it's still only 13, 14, 11, and 11%. And so basically just over 10% of their normal traffic here. Again, just through February 12th, five days old, I'd love to see this data updated a little bit and see what it is today. But, but still, this is if you're roughly 10% of what you used to be at, I can imagine that's uh, each unit of travel represents economic activity. It's it's a truck going with goods somewhere. It's a car bringing somebody to or from something. Um, maybe they're shopping. Maybe they're going to work. Whatever the story is, traffic represents economic activity. So by this measure in uh, Guangzhou, economic activity is off by 90%, um, if you want to look at it that way. All right. Uh, at least CNBC is on the job. We just got this one coming out early this morning, and it says coronavirus could impact 5 million companies worldwide. New research shows. Here's the URL for that. And as we read into this story, uh, they said the affected areas with 100 or more confirmed cases as of February 5th. So that's a place with uh, where it's, it's really gone epidemic, at least locally. So affected areas in China with 100 or more confirmed cases are home to more than 90% of all active businesses in China. So that's amazing. 90% of their economically viable areas. Of course, that's where more people are clustered. And of course, the closer people are clustered, the better chance the virus has of spreading. Uh, and around 49,000 businesses in these regions are branches and subsidiaries of foreign companies. That's a, just a huge number. How do you even get your arms around a number like that? Dunn and Bradstreet researchers found that at least 51,000 companies worldwide, 163 of which are in the Fortune 100, have one or more direct or Tier 1 suppliers in the impacted region. So Tier 1, meaning you kind of sole source, you really, really depend on having that direct supplier as part of your overall supply chain. While at least 5 million businesses and 938 out of the Fortune 1000, so that's almost all of them, have one or more Tier two suppliers. I don't know how they've defined that. I'm going to have to dig that up and, and figure that out, but I think we can sort of guess what that means. They're important, uh, you, you know, and who knows how many of those tier two suppliers combine into tier one suppliers and all of that. It's a very hyper interconnected system. So um, this is just assuming uh, all of their uh, forecasts about how rapidly this might resolve all assumes a baseline forecast that the spread of the virus is contained by the end of the first quarter 
well, that's a month from now. Uh, that would be the end of March. Restoring normal economic activity in the second quarter. However, the global economic toll would be severe if the rate of infection and rising death toll do not abate with international supply chain disruptions amplifying the shock. All right, so here's what has to happen in order for, for this not to become uh, a, a, a really uh, severe situation. The, the number of cases has to stop growing, and we have to get uh, some sense that this containment has worked and that this virus is now under control. Okay, that's what we'd have to see. What might prevent that from happening? Oh, I don't know. If, like Macau says, we can't take the economic pressure anymore, or the, the leadership of China can't take it anymore, and they order people back to work, and then you get another round of outbreaks from this thing because they didn't wait long enough to uh, allow the actual full-blown containment of this thing to, to take hold. So every model I've seen so far says that this thing doesn't actually peak till April or May. And that's if it runs a normal course, it may take longer than that. But I think we can just count on now that there's some sort of amplified shock coming in the system. So the party line right now, and this has been the dis disappointing part, you know, that yours truly here had his wiki page taken down um, because I wasn't towing the party line and coming to you directly with what feels like normal, logical conclusions after going through stuff I can find out there in the media. And... Um, uh, as well, you know, we so this is a great piece. It comes from EpsilonTheory.com. This is the great Ben Hunt. He writes just amazing pieces. I, I read them religiously. It's a piece that he wrote. Um, uh, came out on the 16th. So he wrote as part of this article. Here's what uh, Who uh, director Tedros wrote in the South China Morning Post op-ed piece just three days ago. So that would have been on the 13th of February because this was penned on the 16th. In addition, a wider strategy is needed to debunk pseudoscience and strengthen trust in everything from vaccination to public institutions. Misinformation thrives where trust in the authorities is weak. Well, I got news for you, Tedros. Um, the reason that trust in authorities is weak is because you did a really terrible job uh, informing people. You did a really terrible job of managing this. You did a really, really spectacularly bad job of doing your job. You acted like the World Trade Organization and attempted to protect travel and trade more than you wanted to protect lives. So that's where, if you say misinformation thrives where trust in authorities is weak, it's not that it's weak. It's that it got destroyed. It got damaged. Uh, weak means uh, it's a passive word. Let, let's put the active tense on that. You destroyed people's faith in the institution known as WHO. And I'm sure there's a lot of wonderful, very, uh, very dedicated people who do work at the WHO but not at the top end, uh, not, not where Tedros is hanging out. In a fast-evolving disease outbreak, there's a fine line between the deliberate spread of misinformation and the well-intentioned but potentially still damaging redistribution of false claims. So they keep coming forward with this idea there's a lot of misinformation and false claims, but they don't say what they are. I would love to see the examples of saying, here's damaging redistribution of a certified false claim. In fact, if anybody wants to refute any of the data that I've been putting out here and say, here's where you got it wrong, I'll admit where I got it wrong because I'm using uh, peer, non-peer-reviewed reports. We're operating in a fast and fluid environment. We're doing our very best to get it right, but none of it's being done uh, with the intention of, of spreading misinformation. But they keep claiming there's a lot of very damaging misinformation, but they never say what it is. And that's a clue to tell you that uh, what they're trying to do is manage the information flow to say everybody should be looking at us, not anywhere else, but 
they haven't earned that right. In fact, they've dinged that right uh, pretty solidly. And here's a Reuters article, again, from three days ago. So this is just on the 13th. I mean, we already, we know tons about this, uh, in, from this uh, virus as of three weeks prior to that, right? Here's what uh, our, right, Reuters was concerned about. The rise of fake news, including misinformation and inaccurate advice on social media, could make, could, emphasis on could, make disease outbreaks such as the COVID-19 coronavirus epidemic currently spreading in China worse. According to research published on Friday, in an analysis of how the spread of information affects the spread of a disease, scientists at Britain's East Anglia University, I have to look up who these people are and what their methods were, said any successful efforts to stop people sharing fake news could help save lives. Again, no sense of what the fake news here is. And again, without them going into that, it's what they're really waging a war on here is news that isn't coming from an official source. And the implication is that news coming from an official source is good information and that it's not fake news. Well, I'll tell you what, if the WHO was out there saying we need to, we need to shut down trade and travel with China immediately, and they said that way back on January 15th, right? If they had said that then, and there was somebody like me or out in the social media sphere coming out saying, no, that's wrong. They, they, we should be spreading, you know, we should have more flights and more travel. And why should they be blocking trade? Well, I think they'd be right to say that um, that sort of fake news could have helped to, uh, to kill people, right? Because that would have been damaging bad news. So the implication here that it was the, it's the who were the purveyors of the good, solid information is not something that we have in, in the actual data at this point in time. So I'm really sensitive to these sorts of things because they keep talking about misinformation, fake news, but they never talk about exactly what examples are, they're talking about or how that connects back. But I will tell you that the WHO's early advice on this thing was horrible and it actually did serve to kill people. And that's just the truth of it as I see it right now. All right. Uh, this is a clinical protocol. I want to raise this in case you ever do find yourself needing to understand. Um, you know, if you were in China and you needed to self-treat at home because you felt that your local hospital system was overwhelmed. So this is something I think you should understand around that. And the best clinical protocol data now is out of China. They have many, many tens of thousands of cases where they've uh, worked on it. And so this is, this is what they've come with. Here's the whole thing. It's kind of hard to see because it's small and I couldn't cram it all in. So this part is just from here up. Okay, does that make sense? We're going to go through this part and then this part. Um, first thing, if somebody shows up and they present with a chill, a sore throat, or a cough, already their alarm bells are going off. So what's the first thing they do? They're looking for dyspnea, okay, which is difficult or labored breathing. Is somebody coming in and just having difficulty breathing? Or hypoxia, hypo, meaning below or beneath oxia, oxygen. So if you either have labored breathing or they see a hypoxia with a, um, a 93 or lower reading, 93% or lower, uh, and that's the oxygen saturation of your blood. So each hemoglobin molecule can hold four oxygen molecules. And if all the blood in your arteries is fully, fully, fully crammed with four oxygen molecules each, you'll get 100% reading. This is, I was surprised because 93% is a pretty pretty high cutoff. Um, you know, it's, it, it feels to me like, uh, what I, what I mean by that is it, that's not that low. And so 
they're being very, very uh, rigorous and, and quick about this. So uh, any reading below 93% and boom, you come way down here and you flow down into this part. We'll look at this second. But, um, you know, if you have, if you don't have either of these things, so then they're going to do a blood count. Then they're going to say, well, do you have a fever? If you have a fever over 37.3 Celsius, which isn't that much, that's not that much, that's 99.14 Fahrenheit. If you've got a fever, if you have that, yes, then they're going to do a chest scan, a CT scan, a detection of respiratory virus, so they're going to run a battery of tests. If you don't have a fever, and you go down here and they take your count of your absolute lymphocyte counts, um, and uh, how many you've got per microliter, at any rate, there's a way that they can just shunt you right out of this whole pathway. But it, isn't that interesting that it's just 93% or less, and boom, you fall down this tree very quickly to uh, stage two. Or if you have this fever, they're going to shunt you down here as well. So let's go to part two of this real quick. So if you came down that pathway, we, we came off this and we had blood oxygen below 93%. You came down here. First thing, uh, they're going to give you supplemental oxygen. Uh, they're going to admit you to an isolation ward right away. And then they're going to give you uh, an antiviral and one of two antibacterials. And the antibacterials, just in case this is a uh, bacterial pneumonia, they don't know yet. They're just take, covering all the bases, I think, there. And, uh, of course, they're going to find out if you're um, SARS-CoV-2. That's an interesting way to put it here. Um, SARS-CoV-2 positive. They're not talking here about uh, COVID-19. Uh, this is really a SARS. Uh, it's very, very close and related to SARS almost exactly. Very high homology. Uh, if you're positive, boom, you're going to a designated hospital, right? Okay, so that's pretty quick uh, to fall down this. You know, if you just have this blood oxygen level below 93% reading, you come cramming right down here. So if you get that reading, off you go. Otherwise, if you came down here and, and you just had a fever and they, they're they going to look for your, uh, see if you have a respiratory virus, if you have viral pneumonia, okay, they're going to take you down here, isolated observation, they're going to run this test, they're going to give you some respiratory help here, um, and uh, antivirals and things like that, and uh, again, if you're SARS-2 positive, off you go somewhere else. If you don't have viral pneumonia, they put you over here, this is other CAP, which is Community Acquired Pneumonia. And um, here, just regular treatment for community-acquired pneumonia. They're going to transfer you to an undesignated hospital or just discharge you home. And um, if you don't have that, they're just going to send you home, and they're going to give you some prophylactic uh, azithromycin or amoxicillin, some, some antibiotics. But that's sort of the, the protocol to, to test and, and run somebody through. I thought that might be useful for uh, you if you ever thought you wanted to understand what you would be looking for in somebody and um, if you know all of us at peak prosperity have got those little finger things you put over that can give you those um, uh, those blood oxygen readings as a very cute little device they're like 20 bucks 20 20 30 bucks and uh, very useful uh, diagnostic device to have at home um, but this I thought this was pretty fascinating to find out that that was the the number one thing they were looking for first was do you have trouble breathing and uh, is your blood oxygen below 93%. All right, so now we're going to update this because we got a couple more things to put on here. All of the things in white you've seen before in the prior video updates I put out. Treatment is very complicated and it's complex. And uh, really treating somebody for this is uh, certainly something that's going to uh, require an intact and functioning hospital system with, with really just great clinicians in it. And uh, 
and we all hope that if we ever get it that we have access to that complex and complicated treatments of course testing as well often results in false negatives is something we have to put on here now and um, yesterday i showed a picture of somebody getting a nasal swab so it could be that it's a fault of how the the test samples are taken it could be um that uh, that this virus just doesn't have a positive that it's going to give you until it's been in your body for a while. Uh, we don't know what those reasons are, but the testing very often results in false negatives. We just don't know how much yet. I don't know, is it 5% of the time? Is it half the time? We don't know, but it's certainly part of the experience. So that's now on here, and that, that separates it a little bit because a lot of things are a lot easier to test for, and you get um, a much higher confidence in the test results. This one seems to be tricky so far. Maybe the tests just need to be refined. All right, conclusions for today. There continues to be just too little coverage of the economic impacts. We think that this is going to be the big thing going forward, that this is going to impact the most people. Still a puzzling silence in the news. Yesterday, Sunday was almost nothing. I was just trying very hard to find news and um, very little coming out of China these days. They've got a super lockdown on that. And as well, China seems to have a lockdown on many of the social media uh, outlets out there in the rest of the world. Uh, Reddit's particularly got a couple places that have just been absolutely uh, locked down. Um, and also, where are the cases outside of China? So we're just, this is still puzzling, and I'm not sure about that. Are they not, are they there, but not being uh, detected? We're just gonna have to keep watching this, because that's a puzzle. Stock markets right now are not signaling anything useful, hitting all-time new highs, right? <laughs> Even as the true state of the global economy seems to be, oh my god, this is a, a shock, potentially a, a really disruptive shock. A major supply chain disruption is underway, as we saw in the furniture example, but we already know about it in autos, we know about it in pharmaceuticals is coming. Major supply chain disruption, and it only clears up if this thing suddenly resolves and goes away by the end of March, which is, you know, just a month away, month and a half away at this point. So uh, that doesn't seem likely at this point. The WHO and major media uh, remain more concerned about managing the narrative, talking about false stories and misinformation and even fake news, then they seem to be about being uh, really open and helpful to individuals. I understand why they feel like they have to manage things at a macro scale. I understand why they feel they have to take the course they're taking, but they can do that, but they also don't get to then complain about a loss of faith in, uh, in their institutions because that comes with the territory if you're going to be incomplete with the story. And finally, the clinical protocol out of China, which has the most experience with this, places the strongest emphasis on those blood oxygen levels as a, as a, and also the breathing, labored breathing. That's, that's the first warning sign. So if I was going to leave you with anything clear about this, it's those two pieces. That's what I'm going to be looking for if it ever comes here. And, and I feel like I have to uh, you know, self-diagnose in some way to understand if it's time to go to the hospital or what. It's the breathing, labored breathing, and also the blood oxygen levels. All right. I've gone on long enough. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.